time. All right. Our guest speaker deserves uh, no introduction. I'm introducing him because I forgot I forgot my promo there. Um, Peter uh, has been a core group member of the transit for as, as long as we've been here. Um, he came about the, the, third, the second or third month of us meeting in our home when we were a community group base. Um, I know Peter from North Carolina where he was going to Bible college at our, our formal church, former church. Um, Peter's a man after God's own heart. Um, he loves Jesus. He loves talking about Jesus. Um, he's uh, he's uh, uh, an evangelist in the making, and uh, he's fired up for, and passionate for Jesus. And so you'll enjoy Peter today. He's speaking about Sabbath. So without further ado, Peter McCarthy. All right. There's a promo? Okay. All right. So when I Googled Sabbath, all that came up was Black Sabbath. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but I don't have any memes to show because they were all ridiculous. Um, But it's good to be here. It's great to just be part of family, part of community more and more. The transit is just, it's family. And um, I I would encourage you, get involved in a community group. I know our community group... Uh, just this past week, we started talking about just how the gospel really changes us and challenges us. And I've, I've seen myself really understand what community and Jesus is, is like um, through my community group. But it's starting to spill over into our Sunday morning contexts. And uh, so it's just it's good to be here. Um, let's pray. Jesus, we need you today. There's no doubt about that. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come reveal Jesus to us, and I pray that you would make your word clear to us, and powerful, and meaningful, and that you'd open our hearts to receive it, and that as we receive it, you'd start to point out areas in our lives where we're not in line with your word, God, and that you would graciously start to Weave in, Lord, the truth of your word to the fabric of our heart. God, our hearts are here before you, and so I pray that you do something with them. Um, let, let no distraction get in the way. In Jesus' name, amen. So we all have ideas of, of Sabbath. Sometimes we think, you know, Sabbath is church and Chick-fil-A, and never mind. And then football, and then maybe you sit in your recliner, you rest a little. So I've been thinking about this idea of Sabbath. I, I don't always preach topically, but I, in, in the Bible, the word Sabbath comes up 150 times from Old Testament to New Testament. And so it's significant, but I feel it's something that really the church has lost at large. And especially in the D.C. context where everything on Sabbath is maybe you get up late, you drink, you dread work, you go to work, you repeat. Um, you know, that's just kind of the D.C. mentality where, where culture has influenced that Sabbath is um, kind of losing its strength in the church to a certain extent. We're, we're busy, we're constantly busy, and I believe that Sabbath is something that God wants to reintroduce to his body. So this is something that's been a burning conviction on my heart really the last month or so. And what I'm going to do is just give you kind of a, a survey, the story of Sabbath, what God says about Sabbath from 
uh, Old Testament into New Testament. And, and so we're going to look at that together. And I have three questions coming at the Bible. The first one is, what is Sabbath? What does the Bible define Sabbath to be? And we need to know that Sabbath is a biblical thing, that Sabbath originates in the Bible. The Bible gets to define it. God gets to define what Sabbath is. God gets to define um, the significance of Sabbath and how it applies to our lives. And so we need to look at what Sabbath is. We need to look at what the purpose of Sabbath is. So not just what it is, but you know what, what does it mean for us? What's its original intent? And then we need to look at how does it affect us and how do we relate to it? So we're looking at what it is, its purpose, its function, and then how we come in and, and play into what Sabbath is. So we got to go to Genesis. Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done. So notice that before God rested, God worked. So God's not opposed to work. So when I come into making a strong case for Sabbath rest, I want you to know that I'm understanding clearly that the Bible does lay out that God did work and he finished his work. But then it does say that God rested and, and he explains in his rest the majesty of his work. What God's doing is now taking a posture to say, my work is so good. I'm going to take one whole day to observe it. And so this is the posture of God that he's coming in to Sabbath and he rests from his work. He had completed its work. It's done. And then he intentionally withdraws and takes a posture of looking back over his work. And he, and he says, he blessed the seventh day and made it holy. So it's not as though Um, holiness is something apart from God's rest, but rather holiness is the description of what God had done there. So in his withdrawing, he's saying, this withdrawing, where I'm withdrawing from the work that I have done, I am labeling this as holy. So objectively, before we even start applying it to ourselves, which I think is crucial, because already we're starting to think of, okay, so how does Sabbath affect us? Or maybe I'm not lining up with what God's doing. I'm not even getting to that yet. What we need to understand just from the beginning, the origin of Sabbath is God withdrawing from his work and declaring over it, this is holy because God's saying, I'm withdrawn I'm I'm with myself, I'm in my holy habitation, viewing the great work that I've done. And think about this, this is the greatest work that has ever happened on the planet thus far. Because it's the creation of the planet. So God, you know, he creates the seas, the waters, the land, the trees, the animals, man and woman. And then he sits back and he observes it. So... Just, just from that alone, I, I, I wanted to extend an invitation. Perhaps we should do that too. Um, 
And, and just even in our own work, one of the things I've started to do on Saturdays, that's my Sabbath day, is, is to take a step back and just journal, reflect upon all that God has done in my life in just the past week. And I've been amazed at how God starts to cultivate my heart in understanding um, or, or just even seeing, wow, God was working there. God was working there. God was working there. So there's something about withdrawing in our passivity to watch God work. So God doesn't just leave it. Is this bad? Is this making noise? We're trying something else. Bear with me. Is that better? Okay. So, even before the Ten Commandments, because when you think Sabbath, who thinks Ten Commandments? Right? You think, okay, remember the Sabbath? It's like, okay, yeah, I got that. I'm going to do that. Um, but even before then, God's introducing Sabbath to his people. And there's a cool little situation here where the, um, God's people have come out of Egypt. They're in the Exodus. God's going to lead them to the Promised Land, but they're not really there yet. But God comes in and provides Sabbath for them. And here's what he does. In Exodus 16, 29 and 30, it says, See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. I think the clear implication is here. Because Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday, you get double portion on Saturday. <laughs> so that Sunday morning, you're not like worrying about that stuff. Okay? You know, extra Chick-fil-A sauce. Honey, we're fine. We're going to rest. We're just going to eat Chick-fil-A and we'll be good. Um, but beyond that, here's something that was unique to God. The Sabbath was unique to God. And it says in verse 29, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. So this is something that God owns. He's the Lord of. He's the authority of. And it's a gift from God to us. So really, in our thinking of Sabbath, we need to think, wow, this is an extended gift of something that God enjoys that he's giving to us. And, and then not only that, he doesn't just say, do this. He says, I'm going to provide for you so you can do this. So already it's challenging the people's hearts to say, okay, God, but what about our labor? What about our cultivation? What about providing for ourselves and working? I mean, we're in the desert here. I mean, notice that God didn't give this to humans until they were in the desperate place of being in the wilderness. You know, he wasn't instituting this um, earlier on. It was once his people were in this place that he says, okay, test. Are you trusting you? Are you trusting me? I want to give you this thing called Sabbath. And so he gives it to them. And really, it's an invitation into holy fellowship with God. If God declares it holy for himself, and he's inviting us into it, giving it to us as a gift. And notice, he doesn't even make it a law yet. Sometimes we still think in our minds, oh, this is a law, this is a law. And what it does in our hearts is, if I don't obey this law, if I don't obey this law, and it brings condemnation on us. But even before the law, God's giving Sabbath to his people. The Lord provided the practical means 
to sustain his people so they could fully participate. Does this not begin to chip away at our desire to sustain ourselves? God is the one that sustains us. And so then we get to um, the commandment. And I just got to note, you know, I, I couldn't fit 150, you know, references of Sabbath in here. Y'all would be bored out of your minds. But you should go read it for yourself. Um, so here's the thing. Before God even institutes it as a commandment, he, he introduces it to his people at least three or four times earlier on in Exodus and, and says, it's holy, here it is, it's holy, here it is. And so I think leading into the Ten Commandments, where it institutes Sabbath as a commandment, it's because they needed it as a commandment. <laughs> to take God seriously, that this is a real thing. And so here it is, in Exodus 20, 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Keep it holy. It is holy, and when you approach it, you're entering into the covenantal holiness that already exists. And for your own good, you're entering in and you're, you're participating in something that's already established and already holy. So it's not that God's like, y'all are stressed out. You need to Sabbath. You know, he's not saying that. He's inviting people into something that is holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day it's a holy Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore... The Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. He's going back again. He's referencing back. He's like, here's a commandment, but I want you to know that this is something I did. And so the strength of this commandment isn't just on my moral will for you. It's established in what's good as a covenant. So when God rested and declared it holy back in Genesis... You can't go and take that back. It's something that exists. It's something that is good. It's something that will always be part of history. It's covenantal with all human history. Because it's, it's just there. We'll always have it as an access point to relate to. And, and so God's constantly referencing that, giving it, uh, uh, suggesting it to us, and then saying, I did it and I made it holy, and so you need to remember and keep it holy. Now, the holiness of Sabbath. It's not that the holiness of Sabbath is dependent upon our keeping of it, but that it is holy, so we need to keep it. So, I'll, I'll say that again. It's not that the holiness of the Sabbath is dependent upon our keeping of it. It's not that when we keep it, we're labeled holy. It's that this is holy, and God calls us to enter into it. But, that it is holy, the Sabbath is holy, so we need to keep it. And God's argument is this. God is making the case that the greatest work thus far has been done. So there is no need to do lesser work, but further, that his work is to be observed 
as he observed it. So again, it is just challenging away at our pride. If we are to not observe this commandment that God has given to us and saying, no, God, my work, my cultivation is so important that I can't leave it. God, I'm, I'm thankful that you did the greatest work thus far in creating the heavens and the earth and Adam and Eve. That's so cute, you know. We should paint it on our nursery walls. Um, but, he, I'm sorry, I shouldn't distract myself like that. But really, it's, it's, it's something that it, it eats away at our pride to say, Wait, if the greatest work has been done and the greatest worker withdrew and rested and observed that greatest work, then we too should take the posture of Sabbath in joining him, that great, that graceful invitation to join him in that posture of saying, you're right, that is the greatest work. And start to behold that there is a greater worker than ourselves. That's what we're getting to here. That's what Sabbath is starting to challenge it's starting to challenge our worker mentality. And, um, man, I need that. Because in D.C., you're challenged to work six, seven days, ten hours a day, maybe. Then you go home and there's work to do. Then there's neighbors that need help with work. I never help them. It's terrible. I'm like, I'm, like, I'm sorry, I'm Sabbathing. Um, you know, have a nice life. See you in eternal Sabbath. Um, but anyways, so Sabbath as covenant. We talked about covenant in the membership class, if you were there earlier. Because God rested and made it holy, Sabbath is a covenant. The holiness of Sabbath rests in the truth that God did rest, and he did declare his rest holy. So it's irrevocable. God did declare Sabbath holy, and if he were to not declare it holy, he would have to go back and unrest, and he can't do that, or he won't do that. The only way that Sabbath could unbecome a thing is if God were to go back and change his actions. And so we're faced with this truth that it is always there. So, we should join God in resting from our work to observe his holy work. And join him in his holy rest. Because that's what Sabbath is. The purpose of Sabbath. Exodus 31.13 You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. Another sign that it is a covenant that God's saying, Between me and you forever that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Whoa. So he's saying, you're called into rest. And it's a sign forever that you'll know that in that passive place of rest, I'm sanctifying you. So remember, God rested and declared that the Sabbath was holy. But then he invites us into this holy thing. And when we withdraw from our work and observe his work, He does work in us to make us holy. So then it's not just about the day being holy. It's about us becoming holy. The purpose of Sabbath is sanctification. Above all else, you shall keep my Sabbaths. That's a command. 
This is a sign between me and you throughout the generations. That's a covenant. That you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. That's the purpose. And there's an invitation here. God invites us to leave our work, to join him in watching his, so that he can do work in us. You see, when we observe the greatest work, the greatest work in our lives begins to happen. And so you have to start to ask yourself, do you value more your work or the work that God can do in you? Which is more significant? The day of Sabbath is about coming into a posture where we can properly weigh the worth of work. It's about saying, wait, I'm here to observe greater work. And all of a sudden our scale starts to tip. And we're like, his work's a lot better than my work. It's not that we don't work, but at the end of the day, our work fails in comparison to his. It challenges us to value his work. When we observe God's work, he does work in us. That's a promise. He calls us into that posture so that he will sanctify us. Now, how do we relate to Sabbath? How does the New Testament come into this? Because isn't the Old Testament like, law, do, Jesus, don't do, he did it for you. Um, And so sometimes, you know, it's easy to think, it's Old Testament. Even on the radio today I heard, we don't need to do anything in the Old Testament. Well, Definitely not the Abrahamic covenant or anything like that, um, where you circumcise your entire household. I don't recommend that. Um, But a lot of things in the Old Testament are still good. And and even though Jesus fulfilled them, we we can walk in them with Jesus. So check this out. Scripture 5. I wasn't supposed to say that out loud. Um, Matthew 12, 1 and 2 and verse 8. At this time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And then they dialogue, and Jesus is like, Yeah, okay, whatever. Um, And he goes through saying, No, you're wrong. Here's the point. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In other words... Because Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, he came and, and he brought people into a place where they truly could observe God and his work. But it's with a person. Because he was present, the people in his life could Sabbath, could have a posture of watching the greatest work of God, even while laboring. So it became a posture whereby the disciples could be with Jesus in the grain field, picking wheat, picking grain. And because they were with Jesus, um, they were fulfilling Sabbath because they were with the greatest worker doing the greatest work. The day of Sabbath points to the purpose of Sabbath, being with Jesus so that we can become like Jesus. Because you can't, become like Jesus if you're not observing Jesus with Jesus. And so he's saying, look, the point here is not just passivity. It's not that you withdraw into eight hours of sleep. Well, can't work. Oh, well. 
wake me up, I'm hibernating, you know, wake me up tomorrow um, when it's work day. But really the point is to observe Jesus' work. So you go with Jesus to watch him work. Is the day of Sabbath bad? No. But it gives way to the disposition of Sabbath. So the day then becomes not something that you must religiously keep, but it is the best place to foster that disposition of Sabbath. I mean, you can't truly be focused on your work constantly without, and, and Jesus' work without withdrawing from your work and watching his work. Now, those things blend together, but still it fosters the best place to watch his work. Let's go to Luke 10, 38, 42. This paints a picture of the disposition of Sabbath. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Okay, probably not like that. It was probably in, I don't know, Hebrew or something. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. Mary is representing the disposition of Sabbath. Sitting at Jesus' feet, choosing the good portion. What's the good portion? Jesus doesn't really describe that, but wouldn't it be obvious that if Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to Jesus, watching the greatest worker do work, being passively sanctified, fulfilling the purpose of Sabbath, that Mary is the one that's choosing the good portion? Martha is representing the disposition of mankind, commonly witnessed in the D.C. metro area, distracted with much serving. I'm sorry, how can you be distracted with much serving if the servant is the greatest in the kingdom? Well, there's a difference between serving that draws you away from the feet of Jesus and serving that's fueled by having been at the feet of Jesus. And so what, Mary, what Martha's doing is not only being like, oh, I got I to gotta work for God. I got to do these things. I have to please him. But that, that mentality is bringing Mary into that too. Mary, why aren't you doing this? Your righteousness needs to match my righteousness. Come away from the feet of Jesus. Meanwhile, Mary's just enjoying the greatest worker doing his work. And so we start to see that Sabbath is a disposition that unites us with Jesus. It's always been an invitation to do that. But when Jesus came and introduced himself, he, he, he brought us to a place where we could fulfill Sabbath just by being with him, withdrawing from the things um, that are self-sustainable, and entering into a place where we can only be sustained by Him. 
Does our service for Jesus keep us from knowing Jesus? That would be questionable service. Or are we walking with him, sitting with him? Is our activity greater than God's activity? Which activity do you want to observe? Your work that might be impressive work, or God's work, which is the most impressive work. From the beginning, Sabbath was all about taking a posture to observe and enjoy God's work. And i got to say, as you sit at the feet of Jesus, it won't just be this command. Mary was sitting there because she enjoyed it. You'll start to realize, oh man, I'm going to work so hard for six days, so that on the seventh day, I can sit there and enjoy and know that I'm being worked in, that I'm loved fully. Mary, at the feet of Jesus, chose the good portion. Mary and Martha portrays the gospel tension, and it leads us to the cross. At the cross, the greatest work happened. And there's no greater work to observe. What Sabbath does is it puts us in a place where we can say, my work is so insignificant to that work, but not only that, I need that work. When we go to the cross and realize that our sanctification, our justification, being made right with God and becoming like God is dependent upon Jesus on the cross, then we start to drop our things and say, wait, this, my, my stuff isn't so significant. What I can cultivate is not as significant as the work that Jesus is doing to redeem me, to purchase me, to make a new heart up in here. Our work can't do that for us. Only his work can do that for us. And so all along, Sabbath has been set up and giving way to the work of Jesus on the cross. The greatest work in the Old Testament was the creations of the heavens and the earth. The greatest work in the New Testament with a new covenant people with you and I was the work of Jesus for us. And it fulfills that that. Uh, verse in Exodus 31.13, Observe the Sabbath, that I the Lord may sanctify you, that you may know that I the Lord sanctify you. So we come to this place and say, God, you're the only one that can do work in me. And so we start to realize the significance of Sabbath, even for us, that this is not just an Old Testament story that we're to maybe partake of, that maybe the Quakers, uh, no one even knows what the Quakers are. I just see my oatmeal container. I'm like, oh, that's a Quaker. Um, You know, Quaker oats. And be like, all right, yeah, looks cool. But no, really, the Sabbath is so relevant for us because sanctification is relevant for us, because Jesus is relevant for us. So it's something that we would be wise to participate in, that we get to participate in. The cross demands that we passively passively observe his work, which positions us to passively receive work from him. So when, I mean, we become helpless. And in our helplessness, we find the great helper, That really, he's doing more for us than we could ever do for ourselves. 
So really, if you want to love yourself well, let go of your ambitions, let go of your prestige, let go of the things that help you earn significance and start to realize, wait, my significance is so strengthened by watching the work of Jesus on the cross. And so it starts to eat away at everything that our work can give to us. When we look at the cross, the law has given way to grace. The Sabbath was always about leading to our soul's rest in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So we can come and say, you know, it's not just my body that's resting now. My soul doesn't have to earn anything. I can truly have an inward, outward posture of saying, he's doing it. He's got the greatest display. And when we passively start to say, I just want to watch Jesus for a day. I just want to start thinking through what he's done. We start to see the greatest work. And if we're not seeing the greatest work, then we're not truly entering into a posture of Sabbath. It's like the wardrobe in Narnia. When you enter into Sabbath, all of a sudden you open doors. Whether well, there's trees in here, there's snow, there's half men, half antelope. Like, what is going on? You're like, a whole new world. You know, and you're just like, wow, this is amazing. Sabbath can do that for you, but it's, it's a little different. You get to see Jesus and the wonder about who he is, just like Mary at his feet. Now, our disposition towards God can change. When we receive from him, we become like him. The cross shows us that God's work is weighty and our work pales in comparison. I didn't have room to fit this in, but through Hebrews, like 3 through 5, it talks about rest, the rest of the believers and People, I think, misinterpret that because what it begins with is just how sanctification produces in us a disposition of rest. And then it goes on to say, you may enter into your rest. And so as I'm going through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation looking at rest and Sabbath, disposition of rest, I started to see that what God is showing in the book of Hebrews is that when we're sanctified to this place growing here, that, that, that final work of sanctification happens when we enter into eternity with Jesus, when we um, die and our spirit goes with Jesus and our, you know, our body ceases to function, we will enter into a final place of a disposition where we're fully trusting God's work. And so we have that to look forward to, that God is in fact, going to complete this work in us where we're truly resting, trusting his work greater than our work. And finally, I just want to lay some things out practically because now it's like, okay, I've got to go to work tomorrow. Um, what do I do there? Well, it's a challenge, but I would say, and Joe and Abby, you can come up and start doing your thing if you want. 
Spend time observing and recording what God has done in your life. Dads, fathers, leaders, take the people in your care and say, before soccer practice, before we go do horseback riding for eight hours in the rain, brutal, before all that stuff, we as a family, we're going to sit down and just observe what God has done the past week. I would recommend that leaders lead your people to, to engage the work of God. To start looking at what God has done. And as you start observing, wow, this God is intricate and intentional in His work. You will find rest. You will find rest for your souls. The good news is that we don't have to leave Sabbath Even through our day at work, we can say, wait, God, you're working there. Even though I'm, you know, sorting mail and cleaning floors and saying hey to people. God, you're doing stuff in hearts. You're you're the one actually working. So I want to pray for us. We're going to do three things in response. First, we're going to sing a song in worship. Then we're going to take communion. And communion really represents the body, the blood of Jesus. And in this moment, what we get to do is we get to say, Jesus, we get to partake in the greatest work that's ever been done. We get to remember. We get to reflect right now of the greatest work that's ever been done. And so when you take the elements, by the way, we don't believe that this actually changes into the body and blood of Jesus as you eat it. It's just symbolic. It's just bread and juice. It's nothing spiritual about that stuff. But when you eat it, you can remember, wait, God, you said to do this just so I could go back and remember the greatest work that's been done on the cross, that he actually took the nails in his hands for me, that I can totally trust him because he's paid for my life. He's paid for my salvation. He's paid for eternity with God for me. And so when we do that, let's just consider the greatest work that God has done. And finally, as you feel led, uh, towards the end, we've got a giving box in the back and you can give. Jesus, I thank you that you have done the greatest work. There's no greater work. And I pray that you'd give us a posture to truly behold the greatest work. That it would start doing work in us, Lord. That you'd sanctify us. Lord, that where we're stressed, where we're weary, we just say, Lord, I need you, God, to come and do stuff in me, to be hands-on on my heart, to open up the hood and see what's going on in there. And so, Lord, I, I pray, God, that you would you just invite us into a place of rest. God, to invite us into a place of Sabbath where we can honor you. God, and keep it holy. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you love to invite us into your presence. You didn't have to do that. You didn't have to tell us to enjoy you and enjoy you working for us. We get to do that. That is awesome. And I, I pray that we would just start to see the scale of awesome work go towards your favor in our eyes. 
we need you in Jesus' name.